Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, uh, we've been talking about promises, different promises from God, and uh, certainly these songs reminded me of some of the things that we'll talk about, uh, especially the promise that we're talking about today, and uh, I want us to uh, begin by looking at Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to read a couple of different passages, and if you can... Put your finger at Ephesians 1, or if you don't want to flip over, just a few other pages to the right. Find 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, and put a finger there, because I want to read a couple of verses from both of these passages. But uh, if you'll notice with me, I'm going to read verse number 3, and then I want us to drop down and look at verse 7 and 8 in Ephesians chapter 1. Notice what God's Word has to say. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's what we were just talking about, in Christ. The blessings come when we are in Christ. Now drop down and look with me at verse number 7. In whom, speaking of Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Now, if you are able, look over at 1 John chapter uh, 2. In 1 John chapter 2, look at the very first two verses. Verse number 1, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. John's writing, he's saying, listen, I'm telling you these things so that you don't sin. Notice what he says, and if any man sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Who is our advocate? Jesus. Say that. Who's our advocate? Nobody else will be your advocate when you walk out these doors. But I can tell you Monday through Sunday, and and it doesn't matter what day it is, what time of day it is, no matter what you're facing, your advocate with the Father is who? Drill that into your mind and into your heart. Because this world will not seek to uh, elevate or to, uh, to support you or to lift you up. And so we must, as David said of old, we must encourage ourselves, but we do it in the Lord. It says this, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now notice verse 2, because here's the key. And he is the propitiation, that's a big word that means expiator. It means atonement, it means he's the one that satisfied the wrath of God for you and me. It says, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you for that, amen. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity that we've had to worship you in song and God, the the opportunity we had to honor our graduates this morning. God, I pray that you will Encourage their hearts. God, I pray that you'll be with each one as they go out into this world that many times is an unfriendly world. God, that they'll stay connected, that they will abide in Christ, and that you will give them wisdom to make decisions that bring you honor and glory. God, I pray that you'll protect them. I pray that you'll provide for them and meet their every need. God, I pray that each young man, each young woman that was recognized this morning will live their lives in such a way that their ultimate desire is to bring you honor and glory. God, I thank you for the time that we have to be in your word. I pray that you'll encourage us with the promise that we have before us this morning. And God, will be careful to give you the praise for it all. 
In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I was thinking there's typically three types of identity in this world today. There's the traditional type of identity. It's kind of this. It's like who and what the world says that we are, right? And then there's the modern identity in this postmodern world. There's the modern identity that says, uh, says it's all about who or what I say I am. Right? You don't tell me what I am. In fact, that's kind of the debate that's going on now uh, with many who are not believers with, with uh, God's word. They say, well, I, I don't believe God's word, so it doesn't apply to me. Well, the, the good news and the bad news is it really doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It doesn't change it one bit. God's word is true, and so we have a beautiful opportunity. But so you have the traditional identity, you have the modern identity, but praise the Lord, we have the gospel or the biblical identity. It's who and what Jesus says we are, right? Who and what does Jesus say that we are? And this is incredibly important because who we think we are actually defines how I behave. If I think I'm, if I think I'm no good, if I'm continually beat down by the world, if I allow... The, the world, the flesh, and the devil to keep me down, then guess what? And I start to believe that. I start to take that in and, and internalize that and say, that's who I am. Then guess what? That's going to dictate how I behave. But if I actually understand who Christ says I am and I allow that to dictate how I behave, then we've got a whole nother story. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, if you look back at our text, in chapters 1, 2, and 3 in the book of Ephesians, God is actually communicating through the Apostle Paul uh, to teach you and I some things. He teaches us about who we are. He teaches us about our inheritance. He teaches us about our riches, our wealth. And all of these things, they come, notice verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Here's the key. In Christ. Our blessings, our inheritance, who I am, who you are as, as a believer in Jesus Christ is incumbent not on what you do, not on what you say, not on what I think or what you think. It's all based on what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. All of these promises are based completely, completely on what God through Jesus Christ has done. And so what did Christ do? That's the, that's the follow-up. It's like, what does Christ do? Well, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 11 and Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, they basically mirror one another. They say that Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. If I was to look over in Mark chapter 10 and 1 Timothy chapter 2, we find that Jesus Christ also came to give his life. Here's this. He came to give his life as a ransom for you and for me. Let's say I take somebody, let's say I kidnap Miss Francis. Francis says, why would you want to kidnap me? I'm just using you as an illustration. And I tell Tracy, <laughs> I go over here to the daughter, and they're sitting afar apart. I'm not sure what's going on. No, anyway, that's uh, just joking. But if I tell Tracy I'm requiring a ransom for her to get her mother back, she's going to find a way to get the ransom money to get her mom back. Now, that's a crude illustration, but Jesus Christ says that he came and offered his life. Think about this. As the ransom payment for you and for me. In other words, Jesus says this in his word. He says, I'm giving you the forgiveness that you don't deserve. Through my life, I'm going to pay the penalty. I'm going to pay the debt. I'm going to pay the ransom, if you please, 
that God requires to satisfy his wrath and you can't pay it. But I'm going to do it for you. And so this morning I want us to consider, if you haven't figured it out yet, I want us to consider the biblical promise of forgiveness. The biblical promise of forgiveness. Let me ask you a question. How many people in this room are thankful for the biblical promise of God's forgiveness? Wow, that is the greatest response I've ever had in six years at Battlefield Baptist Church. It's amazing. Everybody's thankful for the, well, thank you, brother. I'm, I'm holy roller today. I'm thanking God for his forgiveness. Let me ask you a question. Here, I might have to take off my shoes for this one. How many of us actually practice forgiveness? A couple of you, praise the Lord. A couple of you. Oh, we love God's forgiveness. Pastor, don't ask me to forgive my neighbor. That lady is terrible. Pastor, don't, don't ask me to forgive my brother or my sister. They, they, they're just terrible. Have you been to our house on Thanksgiving? No, you haven't, so don't ask me to thank, forgive them. Right? We get caught up in that. But we're so thankful for God's forgiveness. Notice what the word forgive actually means. On the screen, the word forgive means to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, flaw, or mistake. Okay? It means to cancel a debt. Biblically, forgiveness is the act of pardoning an offender. In God's word, the Greek word that's translated most often for the word forgiveness literally means this, to let go. I thought we had that definition up there. That's okay, guys, if we don't have it. It literally means to let go as when a person does not demand payment for a debt. And so the question for you and I is, can I really be forgiven? I mean, or is that some type of mirage or, or some type of a distant dream? Is forgiveness for real or is that just something that preachers and pastors like to talk about because it makes everybody feel good? Oh, no. I would never get up and talk about forgiveness if it wasn't for real. In fact, uh, one British writer put it this way. It says, there is no man, if all of his secret thoughts were made known, would not deserve to be hung a dozen times a day. In other words, we don't deserve forgiveness, but God gives it to us. The bad news today, I got bad news and I got good news. The bad news today is sin I know we don't like to hear that word. Sin is real. That's the bad news. The bad news is that sin is real. Listen, and just like I was a little kid, I remember when I was a little kid, we used to have a store called Kresge's. Anybody remember Kresge's? Raise your hand if you remember Kresge's. That would be our people over the age of 50. Okay. All right, I just was checking. There was a store called Kresge's. And I remember I used to get the little, the proverbial slap on the hand, much like some children do when they go into Walmart, right? I want to just see these toys. Casey used to say that all the time. I just want to go down here and see the toys. No, you want to go down and touch the toys. There's a difference between seeing and touching. And, and so the same thing is true with sin. Sin is real, right? And we don't get away with sin forever, see? It, it, it's something that that will absorb us and take control. But the good news is that our God, as was sung about this morning, He's a God of love. He is a God of love. He's ready, He's willing, He's able to forgive us if, put in the word, if we simply 
will ask. Isn't that so great to know that if we ask God to forgive us, he's ready, willing, and able to forgive us. Wouldn't it be nice to know that if I wanted forgiveness within my home, I could ask my child or my wife to forgive me and expect that that would be given? And yet sometimes, no commentary on my children or my wife, but sometimes it's hard to get, right? And so we have, to, we have to think about this as good news. In fact, Psalm 86, look at this, Psalm 86, verse 5. What an encouraging verse. The Bible says, for thou, Lord, art good. Look, it says, for thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto them, all them. Notice, all them that call upon thee. God is ready. He is good. He's ready to forgive us. But he wants us to call on him for forgiveness. In fact, uh, it reminds us of that verse that we see many times placarded all over bumper stickers and in, in stadiums. They don't do it as much anymore as they used to. But you know, John 3.16, and I would include verse number 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. Guess what? That the world might be saved. It's another reference to the promise of God's forgiveness. 2 Peter in chapter 3, verse number 9. What a, what a, we, we like to see, we read these verses sometimes and we gloss over them and, we're, and we forget to be thankful for these verses. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his what? Promise. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. The word long-suffering there actually means he's patient. I thank God, I thank God for his patience. I'm so thankful that he's patient with me. He's still working on me. Like, I don't use that as a crutch or an excuse. Like, if, if, if I need my little fanny paddle, then Krista, you know, she gets it out and gives me the, gets it, get, get over it, right? But I'm so thankful that God is long-suffering. Oh, the long-suffering of God. But what's he long-suffering about? He says he's patient. He's patient to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to Repentance, that's another reference to his promise of forgiveness. What fantastic promises we have regarding forgiveness. And so let's take a look at a few this morning. Rapid fire, number one, number one promise. If we confess, God forgives. Like, oh, I don't like that. You started with the word, if we confess. I don't like the thought of confession. Well, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 55, notice what it says. It says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Another reference to the promise of forgiveness. Folks, I'm pretty sure we don't win friends and influence people by telling them how wicked or unrighteous they are, right? It's like, hey, you're such a wicked dude, I forgive you. You're so unrighteous, Will. I forgive you. That's not how we go around offering forgiveness. But that's exactly what God says I was before Christ. Before his amazing grace poured over me like a flood, he said, you're wicked, you're unrighteous. You need to return to me. He says, but the good news is when you do return to me and you seek me, I will abundantly pardon you. I will forgive you. 
Oh, what a precious promise. God says, turn to me and I'll withhold what you deserve, what you do deserve and give you what you don't. I'll withhold what you do deserve in my mercy and give you what you don't through my amazing grace. Oh, our gracious Heavenly Father has made it so that you and I need not fear the future. Oh, we can be forgiven. 1 John 1, in verse number 9, you know this verse, many of you. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He not only releases us, oh, but praise the Lord, He cleanses us from our unrighteousness. In other words, the filthy rags of our righteousness is replaced by His everlasting righteousness. You know, at the end of many verse, many uh, messages, I'll share uh, with folks, I'll kind of go through what is commonly regarded as the Romans road. Some verses that kind of are geared towards directing somebody's attention to the promise of forgiveness. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we can go on and on. But one verse that I really want the guys, if you'll show it, Romans 10 in verse number uh, 9 and 10, notice what the Bible says. It says in verse number 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But notice what verse number 10 says. It says, for with the heart man believeth, that's a reference to our faith, faith plays a part, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth Confession is made unto salvation. I had a, you know, I, I, I've been down the road a few times with some of my Bible college buddies and uh, on missions trips, and I've had these people ask all the time, well, do I really have to confess? Or if I just think it, do I have to really confess? Well, if you'll show verse number 10 again, it says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I don't know, you have to ask yourself that question. Listen, if I, if I commit some egregious sin or some gravity towards my wife, do you think I should, uh, with my mouth, confess that I'm wrong? Yeah, because if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. We covered that in Bible study this morning. So I, I confess that to my wife, and I ask for forgiveness if I was to do something this way, why would we not think that it's only right that I confess my sins this way? Oh, God is faithful and just. He wants to forgive us. There's an, there's an apparatus of faith that is required. We have to believe unto righteousness, but with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. The American Presbyterian minister from years gone by, he was actually in the uh, early and middle 1800s, he led what is known as the second great spiritual awakening in the United States. His name was George or Charles George Finney. And he said these words. He said, faith reveals itself in committing itself to the testimony and will of God in resting in the promises and declarations of God and in the word and in the work of Jesus Christ. What he was saying is that my forgiveness and your forgiveness rest completely solely on the word and the work of Jesus Christ. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We are forgiven in Jesus Christ. Proverbs 28, verse number 13. 
The Bible says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Do you know that that's been our policy in the home? Like, young man, if you're lying to us, there's a penalty to pay. But if you'll be honest with us, there's still going to be a penalty, but maybe the penalty be, will be a little bit less, right? We set these standards up within the home, and the same is true with God. If we confess, God says, I'll forgive you. Number two, God's forgiveness, and I'm thankful for this second one, probably my favorite point today, God's forgiveness is free. It's free. You and I can't earn it, and you and I cannot purchase it. It is free. There's a lot of people who try to earn it, and there's a lot of people who try to buy it, right? But it is free. We, not, we don't need to do that. Look at our passage in Ephesians 1, in verse 7 and 8. The Bible says, in whom, speaking of Christ, we have redemption. How do we have redemption? How do we have forgiveness? It says, through his blood. The forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded or superabounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence. The blood, oh, we don't like to talk about blood, but the blood is the price that Jesus paid for you and I for our forgiveness. I'm thankful that it's pure. I'm thankful his blood is pure. I'm thankful that it's holy and sinless. In Romans chapter 3, in verse 24, notice what the Bible says. And I actually have like, I have like little arrows because this thing, you can cut it up in little pieces. Look at verse 24. It says, being justified, how? Say that word, freely. It didn't cost you or me anything. It says, being justified freely, how? By his grace, through the redemption that is what? In Christ. How do I receive forgiveness? I can't earn it. I can't buy it. It is given to me freely through Jesus Christ. I was wrote down a question for myself and maybe something that would cause us all to think. Have you ever received a gift and immediately felt humbled? Have you ever received a gift? And it's not even, a, it doesn't even have to really be a gift of monetary value. In fact, most of the gifts that humble us are the gifts that we find that come from somebody's heart, right? I remember uh, we took a missions trip. You're, the ones that went to Tanzania with me will recall we were in a couple's home, and their home literally was probably maybe the size of this square here on the platform. You remember? And there were two, basically two and a half rooms, I think, in the, in the home. And one was a bedroom where they had bunk beds everywhere. And in the center, they had set out a little card table, and they had put so much food on this thing to feed our missions team from Battlefield. We're in Tanzania, East Africa. And then... and. and Literally, if you're there, we're sitting like, I think there were like three or four on the side of the bunk bed, and then we were sitting all the way around the room. And so in this little home, we had like 25, 26 people. I can't remember how many total was in that room. And they had food in this room, and then they had food in this room. And at the end of it all, we're getting ready to leave. And we're so thankful. They've fed us. They've, they've shown hospitality to us. They asked me to get up. They asked me to get up, and they put this, this cloak on me. They wrapped this wrap around me as if I'm somebody special, and they honor me in their presence. I can tell you it was probably one of the most humbling experiences I have ever felt. 
receiving that. Can I tell you guys, that's exactly what God does for forgiveness. It should humble us when we think of God, a very God, when we consider His love, that God loved me, that God loved you so much that He sent His only begotten Son. And He said, Son, here's your mission. You must go and seek and save that which is lost. You must go and offer your life as a ransom for the sins of the whole world. This is your mission. Uh, what? Can you send somebody? No. You have to do this. This is your mission. This is a humbling, humbling gift because when we think about it, we have to acknowledge and we have to accept and appreciate God's power. Oh, this is the free gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. 1 John in chapter 1, the Bible says in verse number 6, it says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, then we lie and do not the truth. But verse 7 says, but if we walk in the light as in he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Oh, what an amazing passage of Scripture to think about God's cleansing forgiveness through His blood. Romans chapter 6 says, not only reminds us that Jesus died unto sin once, but that we who believe have been made free from sin. Think about it. Jesus freely dies, freely sheds His blood, so that you and I can receive a free gift of forgiveness. What an amazing God we serve. Ephesians 2 says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Notice, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God's gift of forgiveness is like the song that we sang. It's like the song that we sang when we think about the solid rock and victory in Jesus and on and on. It is given and based from a position of love. God forgave us because he loved us. The Bible says here in his love, in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 10, it says here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son, here it is again, to be the propitiation for our sins. And our other passage that we read in chapter 2 of 1 John, it says he did it not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. In Titus 2, verse number 11, the Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Oh, I'm so thankful for the forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ. I put down in my notes at the cross, God in His holiness judged sin, but God in His love offered Jesus Christ as our Savior. Oh, we can't negotiate for it. We cannot barter or trade for it. It is free. When we are forgiven, we receive it. And then guess what our next job is to do? We receive his forgiveness, and then we're supposed to go tell others about his forgiveness. So in other words, we receive it, and then we're supposed to go share in order to give it away. Forgiveness is not free, is not earned or purchased. It is free, excuse me. Number three, God's forgiveness is complete. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, I want you to see this. I wasn't going to have you to turn but I think it's important that you see it from God's word yourself in Hebrews chapter 10. God's forgiveness is complete. Notice what the Bible says, and we had this up on our 
walls last year. In verse number 12, it says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Notice verse 14. For by one offering he hath perfected, notice how long he's perfected, forever, forever them that are sanctified. And that word sanctified means set apart. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant. Notice God says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and their minds will I write them. And notice the beautiful verse number 17. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. How amazing is that? God says, not only if you confess will I forgive, not only is my forgiveness free, you can't earn it, you can't purchase it, but once I forgive, I want you to know that my forgiveness is complete. You don't have to worry about do-overs. I've known people who do this all the time. Every time the pastor gets to the end of the message, they're praying to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior over and over and over and over again. Jesus only had to die once. You only need to confess and accept him once. It's not something that we have to do over and over again. If we do that, we're crucifying him anew each and every time. Oh, listen, his forgiveness is complete. It's hard to even imagine or fathom. I was thinking about this and... This, some of you know this song. I was singing to myself that old song, Champion of Love. You know, ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention. I want to introduce to you in this corner of the good and the right stands a champion robed in white. His height exceeds the heavens. His weight outweighs the world. His reach reaches everywhere. His age is evermore. We talk about the champion of love. I can't even fathom it. But he says, guess what? When I forgive you, I'm not going to remember it anymore. I'm taking your sin. In fact, the scriptures reveal what God does with our sin all throughout, especially the Old Testament, giving us a beautiful principles and pictures of what God does with sin. In Psalm 103.12, David celebrated. He said, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. That's a long way. I'm not talking about from Virginia to California. You think about it, as far as the east is from the west, will you just keep going as far east as you can this way, or you just keep going as far west as you can this way, and as far removed as they are, guess what? You keep on going, you're going to keep on doing this. God says, I've removed their sins. In Isaiah 38, in 17, Isaiah declared that God had cast all of his sin behind his back. In Isaiah 44 and 22, God said, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. I have forgiven you. I have restored you. Speaking of his new covenant with Israel in the house of Judah, the Lord says in Jeremiah 31 and 34, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And from Micah chapter 7 and verse number 19, we know the Bible says that God takes sin and he cast it into the depths of the sea. And the beautiful picture about Micah 7 in verse number 19 that he cast it in the depths of the sea, and I've said this just a few weeks ago, I mentioned this, that when you go to Revelation chapter 21 and the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth, the beautiful news is there's going to be no more sea. 
took our sin and cast it in the depths of the sea. You see, God doesn't hold our sin over our head like some type of a weight, just waiting to drop it on us each and every time he has an opportunity. That's the devil's game. God's forgiveness frees us from being subjected to the past. With God, my sins and your sins are removed. They're buried. They're blotted away. They're cast away. God says my forgiveness is complete. Number four, and these last couple of thoughts are very brief, but I want to make them anyway. Number four, God wants us to practice forgiveness as well. He wants us to practice forgiveness as well. If you look in your Bibles, and you don't have to turn there right now, but in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is giving us an instruction on how we should pray the Lord's Prayer. And he finishes, he's wrapping up, and in in the Lord's Prayer, you know, it says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, in verse number 12, and verse number 13, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But what I want you to know is we typically stop there. We typically never go to verse 14. But verse 14, Jesus says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, notice the word if, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, verse number 15, if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. God wants us to forgive others. See, there's, there's an economy with God. He says, listen, we're doing this, it needs to extend this way. Your communication with me, the way that you commune with me, the way that you worship me ought to be seen in how you live your life this way, one toward another. Forgive one another. I counsel a lot of people. I love counseling and I love the opportunity that God gives me to do that. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible gives us all some really good advice. It doesn't matter whether you're struggling with your communication. It doesn't matter whether you're, whatever the issue is. The Bible says this in verse 31. It says, let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And notice what verse 32, it says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. Notice the next phrase, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Yes, God wants us to exercise and practice this gift of forgiveness. I know of some ministries who use the know, grow, and show. I was talking with Colby the other day about this. They use, you know, it's kind of like their mission, small mission statement. Know, uh, know, grow, and show is kind of a small mission statement that they use. And I told Colby the other day one of the greatest ways that we show who we know is by exercising and giving forgiveness away freely. It didn't cost us anything this way. It's so sad to me that we want to charge people for forgiveness today, right? I always say uh, we, we hold forgiveness like in our pocket. It's like, well, I forgive you, right, Justin? We say, I forgive you. And then the next time Justin might do something that angers me, I pull out the forgiveness card. I forgave you, right? Why do we charge people forgiveness when God gives it away freely? He wants us to exercise forgiveness. And then the last thought, and I close, is after God forgives, he wants us to let go of the past. we got to quit living in the land of yesterday. I am a blood-bought child of the king, right? Paul said, uh, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, 
But this one thing I do, in Philippians 3, and 13 and 14, he says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, he said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, guess what? I don't keep looking backward. I've got to move forward. And that's what God wants us to do after he forgives us. By the way, he says, you confess, I forgive. My forgiveness is free. You can't earn it. My forgiveness is complete. I want you to exercise forgiveness. He says, but once I forgive, I want you to move forward. Quit looking back. You think about Jesus in John chapter 5. You remember Jesus went, and we talked about this before Easter. He heals the impotent man or the lame man that's sitting by the pool of Bethesda. Later on, you know the man, is, he finds him in the temple. And Jesus tells him in John chapter 5 and verse number 14, he says, he says, basically, thou art made whole. He says, go and sin no more. He says, sin no more. Quit looking backward. Move forward. The same thing. You remember in John chapter 8, all these pharisaical dudes brought the woman who was caught in adultery. And they all have stones in their hand. They're ready to kill this woman. And Jesus, he's like, he's in the middle of teaching. And they come to him. You know, he bends down and he starts writing in the sand and starts writing in the dirt. He's, he's, I, I think in that moment, Jesus is probably like, please go away, please go away, please go away, please go away. Right? And they keep on and on. And Jesus says, ye who are without sin, you go ahead and cast the first stone. You know the rest of the story. These jokers, beginning with the oldest guy all the way down to the youngest, they start dropping their stones. And then Jesus turns and he looks at the woman. He says, well, where are thine accusers? And she says, there are none. And he says, neither do I condemn thee. And he says in verse number 11, go and sin no more. Oh, God's forgiveness is complete. He wants us to move forward. Forgiveness is that promise that God made to you and me when he sent his son to die on the cross. If we confess, he'll forgive. It's free. We don't have to pay anything for it. All we have to do is believe in our heart that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, came and lived a sinless life, and he did all of this. He died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And when we believe that, when we accept that, and then we understand the requirement to confess our sins, he says, I forgive. It didn't cost you anything. I paid the price through my son. Oh, listen, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I beg you, understand from your heart that God loves you. Your forgiveness was purchased out of love. And all he is asking today of you is to say, believe. Believe that I love you. Believe that I died for you. Believe that I have given all of this to you because I want you to have everlasting life. And if you're here and you've never trusted Christ or you're listening on our podcast and you've never trusted Christ, call out on the name of the Lord today. Ask Him to forgive you. And by the authority of God's Word, I have proof that says He will forgive you. And if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I'm saved. But I haven't really been joyous in my salvation. Maybe your prayer this morning would be like David of old. Lord, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Create a new heart, a clean heart in me. David was saying, Lord, I need you to put a new heart in me. He was talking about heart transplant. You got to get rid of this old heart and put a new one inside of me. Maybe that's your prayer this morning. But guys, how could we sit around and be so down in the doldrums when we have the promise of God's forgiveness? For those who have called out upon the name of the Lord, 
You have been sealed and secured. You are headed for heaven. There's nothing you can do to help it. God loves you. There's nothing you could do to separate you. We talked about that last week from his love. Oh, just like, listen, my children, maybe moms and dads can identify. My children got on my nerves a few times. Anybody? Or y'all got perfect kids? Children get on our nerves, but it doesn't make them any less mine. God has blessed me with them, and I love my kids. And if you think I love my children, how much more do you think God loves us? Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.